Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi, everyone. This is an episode that I'm honestly really nervous to record, but I think it's an important one because so many women I've talked to worrying about their marriage, whether their spouse is their drinking buddy or they've always drank together or whatever their spouse has been a big fear that they have and something maybe that is holding them back from stopping drinking. So I asked my husband, Mike, to join me on this episode to talk about our relationship before I stopped drinking and what it's like now. So we're going to talk about parenting and what it was like when I was in early sobriety, um, maybe how much was said or unsaid, and what our relationship was like when we were drinking versus now. I think a lot of us don't know how much of our drinking and worrying about drinking and debating is visible to our partners versus how much is in our own head. So Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hey, happy to be here. I've been a 
very uh, very proud of this podcast and all you've accomplished for a long time. It's a big honor to be on it. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Just so folks know a little bit about us, although I've talked about you and our family a little bit on and off through the podcast. So we met in our first job at a college. We worked at a consulting firm in Washington, D.C. I started in June after I graduated. You started in July. So met there. We were friends for a while, started dating for a while, and then about two or three years after we met, so maybe a year after we started dating, we decided to move out to Seattle, Washington and lived together for three years, got married, and now we've been married for 19 years in September. Uh, yeah, actually, the way I remember that story is we decided we wanted to leave the East Coast and move to the West Coast, and we came out and looked at a few different cities, and I voted for San Diego, and <laughs> you voted for Seattle, and that was the first time I learned you get a vote in a quarter. <laughs> I think that's not quite it. I think what happened was you wanted San Diego. I wanted Seattle. So I hustled and applied for like 15 jobs and got six interviews, got an offer and we moved to Seattle. Like I said. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we loved moving to Seattle. We lived, one of my best friends, Edie, lived in a floating home on Lake Union with her boyfriend. And we thought that was the coolest thing ever and somehow managed to rent a floating home about a mile from them. So we used to kayak back and forth. Those were good memories before kids, right? When you just didn't have, you didn't have so many responsibilities in this world and you can live in a little, you know, studio place. Yeah. So, I mean, the takeaway from all of that is that Mike and I met when we were about 22, started dating somewhere around 23 or 24. And we, you know, drinking was a big part of our relationship. Like it was what we did on a whole lot of dates. It's what we enjoyed, you know, traveled a ton, both, you know, in the US and internationally before we had kids. And lots of our lives was dinner parties with the wine flowing with friends or date nights out, which we really loved the pub crawls going from bar to bar to bar with apps and anniversary weekends in the wine tasting areas and traveling and drinking. So, you know, for us in our relationship, drinking was sort of a, a threat that was just kind of constant. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I don't know how, how different that is from, from lots of folks, right? That um, it's it was code for grown-up fun. Yeah. Um, and if we were going to try and, you know, do grown-up fun, whatever that looks like when you're 22 – yeah, alcohol was like, of course, going to be a part of it. Yeah, it was a signal of a good time and vacations and happy hours. And we had a lot of fun. Yeah. And it was, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd never really been much of a, a wine drinker, you know, before that. But that was what you like to drink. And so I kind of learned how to uh, appreciate wine with you. Yeah. Yeah. And one funny story that we kind of realized, I think we were a good like maybe 10 years into our relationship before I figured out that Mike's favorite beverage of choice was not also red wine. I don't even know how we discovered it. Uh, probably when we went to Italy and we were sort of ordering those like carafes or half carafes of, of wine and I ordered red and he was like, actually, I prefer white. And I had never heard that before in my life. 
um, well, you know, when you're, um, when you, uh, when you, you know, when you meet a girl for the first time, you find out what she likes to drink, then it's usually the smart thing to order at dinner. And so, yeah, I guess I did that for like a decade. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're here to kind of just talk about sort of Mike's side of the story and his memories as well as sort of what I was thinking about and worried about before I quit drinking and then in early sobriety and kind of what it's like now. So, I mean, I think at the start, we just, you know, I always love to drink. I think you like to drink too. It was just something that we did together. Um, and I was kind of always a seven nights a week drinker. I don't think I always drank as much as I did, but it wasn't, you know, it was just something that was, you know, dinner time, you open up the wine. That's how I kind of lived. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I suspect a lot of people are like that. And it's just the fact that it's a habit, right? It's a, you know, sooner or later, you know, as you get older, it's a, not a signal that it's like good time time anymore and like signal that it's like rest and relax time. Right. Yeah. And so once you get in that habit, right, it's kind of, it becomes kind of automatic at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure when it kind of flipped to where I was like, oh shit, I'm kind of worried about my drinking. I sort of remember it when Hank was about six months old. That was like the first time that I remember reading Drinking a Love Story, which is a book by Carolyn Knapp. And I only remember it because I read it on my Kindle and I would read it. And then every time I would finish reading it, I would like open up five different books to push it down in my Kindle queue. So you like wouldn't somehow randomly look at my Kindle and see that I was reading Drinking a Love Story, which is the most ridiculous thing in the entire universe to have done because the times that you actually open up and look at my Kindle is ridiculous, much less worry about it. But the fact that I was doing that stands out to me as like, oh yeah, that's when I kind of was was worried about this and also really didn't want you to know that I was worried about this. Yeah, I don't have any memory of that <laughs> yeah. at, at all. I, I mean, it's interesting that you talk about when we had kids, right? Because I think that's a dividing point, maybe in a lot of, a lot of different things, certainly kind of what I remember around, around your drinking, right? Um, it was, uh, you know, I was never that bothered by it, right? Um, but uh, I think it's your, you know, your drinking style, right? <laughs> was, um, uh, I don't know how much if you talked about this before, right? But you just don't really have an off switch, drink until you're buzzed and then keep drinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was like before kids are like, ah, eh, you know, like, you know, there's some times where that's annoying, but not really. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you've got the kind of shared responsibility that, that children are, or, you know, it's kind of the first times where you not like being able to post and, you know, like, you know, in the evening or whatever um, was more frustrating. Yeah. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, 
a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Yeah, because before kids, it's kind of like you don't have to ask permission of each other to do too much. I mean, it's definitely, you know, I mean, obviously what you do impacts the other person, but it's not like if you're checked out, then it's on the responsibility is on someone else in the way it is once you have kids. Yeah, that's totally true, right? Like somebody's got, right? I mean, such as little kids, right? Gotta somebody's like, got to be on point. Give the bottle and All wake the up when they're crying. And yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't really have any real memories of it before that, right? I mean, you were, you know, like it was always more fun before it may be before that, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, you know, Casey doesn't mind going out and having a good time. <laughs> Yeah, the the uh, the unspoken rule was always that you would drive home, right? Yeah, well, I had an off switch. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was always kind of the assumption. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I it was just like I would drive places sometimes, but it was, we didn't even have the discussion about who would be driving home because it was always you. Uh, yeah, right. Be- um, that would get a little annoying, I guess, sometimes, um, but... You know, I, that's part of part of relationships, right? We always have, I think, little little places where we take on certain loads or protections of each other. Mm-hmm. So I don't it. Um, I was kind of used to it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think at the time I and still am. I'm still have almost all my same friends, but I was in a group that that drank a lot. That was definitely in the mommy wine drinking sort of culture and vein. Of course, once I quit, I realized that not everyone drank like I did, and I probably pushed them to drink more, but not all of them. So we would go, you know, we would have happy hours on Memorial Day weekends with the kids that would start at 4pm and, you know, drink all night and then a lot of times sleep over because, you know, got to be safe with the kids. Um, Being sarcastic there somewhat. But also we would go away on kayak camping weekends or weekends to Whistler and we all drank. It was just kind of, you know, in some ways, the way we rebelled against being parents or, you know, getting away from the kids or whatever it was. But we also just like to get drunk and get buzzed and have a good time and pretend we were 22 again. Yeah, you know, and there's lots of lots of laughs, you know, yeah. that went with that. It's um, it, it is interesting to think about. There's some tipping point, I guess, in your life, right? Like you spend some portion of your life drinking because it's the the um, the older, more grown up, you know, thing to do. It codes for that, and then at some point, like suddenly, you're doing it because it's the 
the younger, cooler mm-hmm. thing to try and recapture. And yeah. um, I'm not quite sure where that tipping point was, but it had to be somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it just becomes a habit and then it becomes what you do, whether you're kind of happy, sad, good day, bad day in between. You know, it was just kind of like my habit eventually that I would get home, I would open a bottle of wine and I would drink it throughout the evening, you know, cooking, dinner, homework, kids are already in bed on the couch. And then sometimes I'd want to open a second bottle and have one or two or three glasses more. And that was pretty standard, regardless of whether it was a Friday night or a Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you asked about like, what are my memories of some of that? And certainly like the the tendency to like open another bottle after you were already kind of buzzed was one where I just, I just didn't get it. But, you know, relationships, marriages are funny, right? We spend, you know, a lot of time overlooking things because, right, there's no, I mean, um, that question was never going to be met with like a lot of understanding yeah. um, on your part. Right. And so um, a lot of times it was, I didn't care enough to have it be a, a battle. I just didn't always understand it. Yeah. Well, so from your perspective, since you, you know, met me at 22, what did my drinking look like to you from the outside, like in my twenties, early thirties, and then late thirties? Cause I quit, you know, for the last time when I was 39 years old. Man, um, it's a, it's a yeah. long period of time, yeah. right? When you talk about it, uh, you know, the memories when it's just the two of you, right? Like are, um, there's just more like social, like occasions or whatever, right? Where drinking is like an assumed part of it, right? When you're going out with friends or you're going out to dinner a lot more when you're a little, when you're younger and it's just the two of you, right? Like, of course, right? You know, alcohol kind of goes with that. Um, and then it, uh, it didn't seem all of a sudden it doesn't seem so obvious once you got kids, right. Once you got, you know, have a shared place, right. Uh, You know, that you're living together and and you're just watching TV on a Tuesday, all of a sudden it doesn't seem quite so obvious. Right. And, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, open a, a beer at dinner and still have it kind of following me around the house three hours later. And, I remember that used to just annoy you to no end, you know, it still did even after I quit drinking, because I'd be like, who is this person that like, you're just sitting on the couch looking at your phone and you have a beer on the kitchen table behind you. That's three fourths full. And I'm like, dude, do you want this? Like, you know, I just, I never got that. Yeah. How you just forget about the beer. And I, and I would never quite got like how your, you looked at like a, like a, open bottle of wine the way I would look at like a plate of chocolate chip cookies. You know what I mean? Like, why would you not keep going back for yes. one more? Yeah. Um, you know, right. Uh, and so anyway, in terms of how it evolves, right. Um, no, I mentioned this before. I think it's, it's different when you've got kids and your schedule changes a little bit and um, the, um, your ability to have kind of nighttime routines that might go in different directions, right, is a little harder to take, right? Because somebody's got to, like I said, be on point for all that stuff, um, you know. And then eventually, uh, you know, I I knew that you were uncomfortable with how much you were drinking and looking at, the, you know, you take time off it or or whatever. And um, I don't know. I was always very squarely in the camp where that was your 
your business. You know what I mean? Um, and not certainly there was no upside in me, you know, being, you know, being for it um, or against it or whatever. And then I think when you, when you decided to stop for good, I didn't even know that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting that you said that you knew that I was back and forth because I think for the longest time I was incredibly defensive about it and trying really hard to pretend that there was nothing to see there because I didn't want you to be watching me or I didn't want to tell you that I thought I needed to stop or get back because I knew I was going to want to drink again and I didn't want you, the person I'm going to live with for the rest of my life to be quote unquote watching me. And like, I didn't want you too tuned in to how much I was drinking. I was kind of trying to not have you see that. So I feel like a whole lot of it was in my own head. You know, of course I, you know, I, I take out the recycling a fair amount. So <laughs> it was, you know, like it was, it was always pretty heavy. Um, and so, right. You always, I always had that sense, but um, yeah, I mean, in retrospect, right. You always, you always, when you would talk about it, it was part of some larger health kick. Yes. Right. Yeah. It was never, it was never part of its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you were the person that I was most concerned about kind of noticing or questioning how much I was drinking because there was sort of no going back from that because we lived together, right? So I didn't want to tell you how worried I was about it. And that was kind of a lot that was weighing on my mind that I never shared with you because it was a day-to-day-to-day debate beating myself up, worrying about it, saying I was going to come back, saying screw it. Like that's a lot of inner turmoil that I was just sort of playing off around making dinner, cooking dinner, waking up in the morning. Yeah, you know, I mean it's 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 interesting the 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 secret sometimes that we keep from um from each other, right? And in, in just in relationships and in marriages because you're trying to you're trying to either maintain some kind of, I don't know, facade of perfection, right? Or you're trying to act like you're still the same person you were when you were in your early 20s, right? Even though that's right, kind of yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Because you know, you know, however you're going to evolve in life, you're going to do it together. We're always kind of sketchy about uh, how we how we do that in front of each other. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com 
forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash someday. And, you know, it was interesting, too, because you were talking about, like, once you have kids, it's harder when the other person checks out. And, you know, my memories of it, I certainly know that I did that on a number of occasions. Like, there's no question. But I also feel like I was working really hard to keep all the balls in the air and to keep being a really good mom and getting everything done and, you know, spending time with them while still drinking without being really irresponsible, right? Like I would like make sure we had dinner and do all the dishes and pick them up from all the sports and come home and make the coffee for the next day and get them to bed. Now, no question, I had two to three glasses of wine while I was doing that. But then after I got them to bed, would continue to drink. And then in the morning would be like, all right, let's pull it together. We got to get the kids up and snacks. And I mean, I was in my mind, I know there were times when I was definitely like at a commission, but I didn't think that was most of the time. What yeah, I mean, yeah, to, no, totally to be to be really, I don't know, clear. Yeah, it wasn't about that, like mommy wasn't there for like mommy responsibilities. Like you were always very good about that, always are, right? So it wasn't like, you know, I, I had some little kid like, you know, mommy won't wake up, right? Like that. It wasn't like that. It, um, I think what it was is when you're when you're married and you have kids, like the amount of time that's just for the two of you gets pretty shrunk down anyway, right? Uh, and so all of that kind of distance that comes with with drinking came out of our time, yeah, right? Because your work time doesn't change, your commitment, yeah. right? You're pretty locked in there, and your mommy time was pretty locked in. There wasn't much, you know what I mean, yeah. left over time anyway, right? And yeah. so. I think maybe that's where the frustration or like the first ability to notice it comes from. Yeah, I think that's completely fair because I felt like I kept everything going as best as I possibly could. And then once work was done and the basic housework was done and the kids were done, I was checked out. Like I was me on the couch with my glass and glass of wine finishing the bottle. And like I was in my own bubble having a party by myself on a Tuesday night. Uh, yeah, you know, some of that. And, and, um, you know, I think one thing I didn't even really understand until later, until after you, until after you, you decided you, you wanted to, to, to stop drinking was how much of what I kind of felt as, as distance other times of the day even was related to it. Right. Like, you know, you know, where you, it gets a little frustrating when a, you had, you know, had to, you know, get you up from the couch, right? And convince you that you wanted to go up to your bed, you know, at night, right? And so go I through a little fight I, about that. I had like fallen asleep on the couch. Yeah, I'm which using is fine. Air Everybody quotes. falls asleep on the couch. I right? was like passed out on the couch. Um, <laughs> like, you know, maybe you weren't the nicest upon upon wake up at that point, right? Yeah. And then, you know, in the mornings, right? You'd be kind of grumpy and distant too. Um I'm like, you know, it's all <laughs> That's all that's left, right? It's like after the kids go to bed and before you go to work most days. Yeah. Um, I think you probably just weren't feeling very good some of that time. Yeah. I mean, but my, I didn't really know that because you were yeah. pretty good at hiding it. Well, I mean, I would, you know, during that time, right? So I would 
be finishing my bottle of wine, sometimes opening another bottle, you know, when you were saying goodnight to the kids or going outside or something would inevitably fall asleep on the couch. Um, my memory, I don't really remember you waking me, me up. I remember certainly sometimes waking up by myself on the couch at two or three in the morning when you said that later that you couldn't wake me up. I don't know how that felt. Um, or I would wake you up and you'd be like, I don't want to get up. Right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, right. You get a little, you get a little, you're a little like frustrated. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah. Right. Screw you. You can wake up. You can sleep on the couch. Yeah. That wasn't that often. Right. Yeah. But, um, so what I remember is coming up to bed, the door to the bedroom would be shut and I would just be like, fuck. And then of course, immediately would be defensive, try to open it quietly, go to bed, usually wake up at some point in a total anxiety panic, which is kind of what happens when you drink, right? Everybody talks about the 3am wake ups with the, the pounding, you know, anxiety, the anxiety, worrying about falling back to sleep, worrying about how you could function. So I had a lot of nights where you were sleeping next to me calmly, and I was just freaking the fuck out in my own body. Um, and then in the morning, you know, you would kind of roll over and just be like, so how are you feeling? And I would just be so defensive and like, what? I'm fine. What do you like? I was like, it felt like a shot across the bow. And Honestly, of course, I felt like complete and total garbage. I felt like you were judging me sort of passive aggressively, which let's be clear, you were. And in in complete, you know, legitimately, of course you were. But I would be just trying to get the kids up, put on my makeup, get dressed, get out the door, get to daycare, feeling like total garbage. So you're not wrong that I was seriously like, defensive and distant and um, not meeting your eye. But it was all about me and my drinking and being defensive of it and beating myself up and not wanting me to look you in the eye because I didn't want you to look too closely at me. And so, right, you, I learned never not to poke that bear. Right? <laughs> um, and so you kind of leave it alone. You can go on like that for, for years, right? Because, you know, I mean, to be fair, you were still um, like I said, perfectly competent and on point with all the other pieces of your life, right? Well, I was pretty nice, right? Oh, I mean, I'm a nice yes, person. you're a very nice person. <laughs> Let the record show. Um, but, um, you know, right? Like, it wasn't like you were um, out of control in some general way, mm -hmm. right? Um, you just weren't very, you just weren't very happy about it um, yeah. and defensive about it. Yeah, I definitely felt like, you know, I think you you said to me once or twice, probably more than that, like, babe, don't be a martyr. Like, if you're doing this for us, you can stop because it's not that much fun to be around. And I definitely felt like I work and I deal with the kids and I come home and I do the chores and like my one carrot, my one treat was wine. Yeah. And, you know. In retrospect, if anyone's listening to this and that resonates, that's a pretty small reward for going through life day to day. And it there is a whole lot else out there that is way better than holding on for your bottle of wine and waking up feeling like garbage. Um, yeah. Is that what you I mean, in some ways, uh, I don't know, question for you. Like, is that what you found right away when you stopped? 
No, not right away. Although I would say that I noticed a lot of changes right away. I mean, looking back, the absolute hardest and crappiest experience was was not as much early sobriety. Once I got past my first like three weeks, 30 days, the hardest part was the saying I was going to stop saying screwed and drinking again, waking up in the mornings. There's there's nothing worse than when I was waking up in the mornings feeling like total garbage. And I mean, I used to walk into work um, when I was at the startup in Bellevue, literally walking into work, feeling awful, say, asking myself in my head, do I just abuse alcohol or am I an alcoholic? And telling myself to get my fucking shit together and what the hell's wrong with me. I mean, that was a daily experience that sucked. And, uh, you know, a hell of a, that's a hell of a, um, of a reward for your little reward. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Was, right. Like, you know, tell her what she's won. Yeah. Um, is that feeling every day? Yeah. Right. And so, um, so you, even when you did really decide to, to stop doing it. Right. Um, you shaded that in all kinds of different ways. <laughs> right. So that I wouldn't know that that's what you were doing. Well, yeah. Um, so I didn't actually tell Mike anything more than I was doing a hundred day, no alcohol health kick. Um, pretty much past a hundred days. Um, I, did I hired a sober coach. I did not tell Mike I was doing that. I joined hip sobriety school when I was at 60 days. I didn't tell Mike I was doing that. And um, I think there were a couple different reasons for that. Um, one, I wasn't sure I was going to make it. And I mean, that would be no surprise to you because I had told you a million times that I was going to take a break from drinking and then four days in or seven days in, I'd be like, Hey babe, will you pick me up a bottle of wine at the store? You know, Mm -hmm. screw it, F it, whatever. So one, I wasn't sure I was going to do it. Um, I think I did not tell you I was hiring a sober coach because I didn't want you to know how serious I thought it was. I didn't want you to know, you know, any of that stuff because we are going to be married for another, I don't know, how long are we going to live? I did not want to, you know, right? Like, I mean, for, for forever, right? Yeah. Okay. No, but I, I mean, you know, how many years is that? 30, 40, whatever. All of them. Yes. All of them. So I didn't, you know, what if I changed my mind? Like then you would be like, dude, my wife's drinking a bottle of wine again and she hired a sober coach. Like what the fuck? Right. So I didn't tell you. So I was very sort of secretive in my own head about drinking when, when I was drinking and then I was very secreted in my head when I was stopping too. Um, and it's, it's funny. The, the, the whole idea of um, I'm going after this like self betterment and I'm going to keep it a secret from you. So you don't find out that I'm trying to make <laughs> myself better in some way, but I get it right. You um, my experience with you is you don't fail at hardly anything I've ever seen you set out to do. And so um, you're probably pretty scary, that notion of failing. Yeah. Well, and also like there's, you know, in my mind too, and this may not be true. So I had actually 
so I finally quit five, five and a half years ago when my son was eight and my daughter was two. I actually, the first time I sort of was like, oh shit, I need to stop drinking was when my son was five. And I went to a therapist uh, for anxiety, but I very clearly picked him because he specialized in addiction and anxiety and went in there and was like, oh my God, I have such bad anxiety. My boss is so tough. My life is stressful. I'm a mom of a little kid. And by the way, I'm drinking a bottle of wine at night. And he immediately was like, yeah, let's talk about your drinking. I'm like, no, 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 forget my drinking. Let's talk about my stress. Um, but he, you know, had gone through AA. He was sober. Um, he immediately like zeroed in on my drinking, which of course I did not want him to. Um, and, uh, yeah, I joined this secret online Facebook group. I've talked about the BFB met a woman there who was super cool and my age. And I liked her a lot and she was four months sober. So she offered to take me to an AA meeting and, you know, last thing I thought I would ever do, but I liked her. So I was like, well, bucket list, fuck it. I guess I'll go. So all that is to say that despite me saying I didn't want you to be watching me or worried about me, I had gone to AA meetings, you know, three years before and you knew about that. Like, how did you feel about that? I mean, I, I think from the very um, from the very beginning, you can tell me if, I, if this is wrong because maybe, you know, maybe it makes me sound good or whatever. Like, like, hey, I'm great. You know what I mean? Like, if, that, if that's what's making you happy right like if you think that that's something you're trying to to change um good i think i probably did have that that moment when it's like wait does that mean i have to stop drinking too mm -hmm. um um i the got same the impression that you thought i was overreacting with aa and that you were not that thrilled that i was going to it that's um, that was my sort of emotional takeaway from that yeah I don't know what I remember is you telling it with always the caveat of like, but that doesn't mean I'm an alcoholic, you know, right? Like I, you know, reject that label. Right. And so I thought being on your side meant that I had to like also very clearly reject that there was a problem. Right. And also, right. Like, I don't know that you, um, uh, really kind of vibed with the whole AA thing. Yeah. Like I didn't memory from the I beginning. didn't really like it. So I, I think mean, what the I people kinda, were very nice. Yeah, but right. But it just never really felt like you, you. There was something frustrating about it to you, and I remember, you know, just saying like, "Well, is there a rule that says you it? have to do that yeah. if you want to stop drinking? Isn't there a different yeah. way to do this?" Yeah, because I don't know that you've hit some grand rock bottom here, right? Yeah. Um, and so, couldn't you just do it without that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you also, at least here in the Seattle area, um, the meetings are 90 minutes. And that's, you know, it, it's a large chunk when you've got a job and a little five-year-old. Um, it's a large chunk to try to carve out. Yeah. Yeah. Not right. You know, another thing, you know, like, oh, you know. Yeah. Right. Do you have to be gone? Yeah. <laughs> right. For that amount of time. Yeah, that's what. You know, yeah. Probably is the wrong reaction to have. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think that that there was some tension there and and it was probably me projecting too because Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, 
I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step -step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step -step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. you know, I was like, this is not necessarily what I want to be doing, you know, in going to AA, certainly a while ago, like, I definitely did not want to be calling myself an alcoholic. I went to a bunch of big book meetings, which probably was not right for me, because I am not religious at all and have a healthy uh, um, resistance to organized religions. Um, and in general, that's just who I am. I'm actually pretty resistant to it. So it was probably not the right cognitive fit for me. Um, and then I'm sure you picked up on that. And yet I was going so I loved the people I met there. It was actually really cool. But I had a lot of tension around it and the timing, like going to 90 minute meetings um, was difficult for me. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons when I actually did quit the second time I worked with a sober coach and tapped into a lot of online resources. And, and a lot of the time when I was sort of doing my um, sober support, tapping into that was when I was rocking Lila to sleep at night, like I would go up there for two hours with her, mm -hmm. instead of drinking a bottle of wine on the couch and I would put in my earbuds and, and listen to books or listen to stuff from my coach, or I would listen to, you know, audios when I was driving to my workouts in the morning or on a walk at work. And I would actually take my coaching calls. Um, my coach was in Paris. It's Belle from tired of thinking about drinking, but I would, you know, most of them were midday on workday. So I would go out to my car um, and just block off, you know, an hour on my calendar at work and take my calls from the car. Um, so a lot of that wasn't really apparent to you in the same way that me going to a 90 minute AA meeting was. Um, yeah, right. I, you know, I'm, uh, on, on some level, it's, um, uh, 
you know, it's interesting, right? Like the idea like, oh, okay, I get it. I support you. You know, you're going to stop drinking. Does it have to be like you took on like another part-time job? <laughs> All right. You know? Um, and you were like, why can't you just stop somewhat? Yeah. Right? Especially right? at the time. Yeah. And I, you know, I think also, right. Like, you know, being, um, you know, not immersed in it yet. Right. Like, I think there was probably some conversations like, why don't you just cut it way back? Right. Yeah. Um, like what keeps why don't you, from you just doing that? don't drink during the week or why don't you just sure why don't you why don't you just drink like I do yeah right um seemed like the most obvious if it's question, upsetting right? to you why don't you just not drink as much yeah and um um you know obviously right it turns out it's a you know an addictive substance and you've got um you know brain chemistry designed to foil that plan yeah yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, when, and I think you even asked me once, you were like, why do you keep drinking when you're drinking? And this was when we were in the Leshai house. And I remember very clearly saying to you that I was like, I just never want to stop feeling this way. Like I, my brain was lit up and I was feeling good. And I was like, you know, in my mind, if I just keep drinking, I will continue to feel this good longer and longer and longer despite the fact that, you know, I kept drinking and then I pretty much passed out and woke up feeling like garbage again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And so you finally, you finally stop. Right. And, you know, like you made it through the hundred days. Right. And, you know, I think I celebrated that with you yeah. when you made your hundred days. Right. Yeah. Cause I definitely told you I was doing the hundred day alcohol free challenge. And I was like, Hey babe, I'm on day 50 or 75 or a hundred. Mm -hmm. And so you know, what was that like for you, right? When you like finally were doing, I don't know, our family's worth of life, right? Sober. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that once I, I mean, I sort of remember really clearly, I, um, before I stopped drinking, it was sort of the last bit I had gone. You might remember this. I'd gone to a business trip in Arizona a big conference. And I, you know, was so excited to be away from our kids so I could sleep through the night. He was still doing the wake ups and stuff and thought I'd be in this gorgeous resort and super well rested and, you know, beautiful everything. And I went to this mixer and there was free alcohol, of course, and I didn't know anyone and it was a business thing. And I ended up drinking so much, um, which, you know, is sort of my, that's just what happens. And woke up the next morning with a full, I'm talking 10 hour days conferences. I was on for work and felt shaky, felt awful, like just brutal, brutal hangover. And then, you know, that was pretty brutal. And I was like, fuck, I got to stop drinking. This is bad. This is not good. Um, drank a little bit that next night. Um, not a ton. There was a woman next to me who also was drinking a ton, didn't know her, but she like could not function, could not sleep, uh, was falling asleep at the table, like really bad. And so got her home. But that was like another sort of sticking in my head, like cautionary tale. And then we met up as a family at a gorgeous resort. And um, you know, we, you'll remember this, this was like some night where it was supposed to be this beautiful, beautiful dinner out on this patio in Arizona. And, um, Hank, for some reason, 
violently suddenly didn't feel well, stood up, took three steps and puked all over the patio where everybody else was was eating. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember it. And so you took him to the bathroom. And then I was there with Lila, who was not quite two. And for some reason, she picked up a plate and threw it and smashed it like at the feet of another table. I mean, it was mortifying. Yeah, it was a train wreck. And so, you know, you were coming out of the bathroom with with Hank and I was like, we got to get out of here. Like Lila was screaming and throwing plates. So we went back to the room and I'm sure I'd already had a couple glasses of wine, but the, the resort, they're so nice, knocked on the door and delivered a bottle of wine. For somehow apologizing to us for like what we done to their restaurant. You just looked like somebody who could use one. Yes, clearly. Um, and so drank that. And what I remember is the next morning, Lila's in a crib. You know, we're in a hotel room with two queen beds. And I was so ill, sweating, nauseous. I was in the bathroom throwing up red wine and bile at the age of 39, um, trying God knows how to hope that you guys wouldn't hear me in the, you know, across the wall, which of course you would. And I was just like, what is happening? Those were like the four things kind of that happened right in a row that, or I guess that was three. The fourth was I came home and, you know, random night I was sitting down, of course, with my bottle of wine um, and watching shows. And I was watching Scandal or something. And you were like, babe, you watched this last night. And I literally didn't believe you. Like, I was like, I know you're wrong. You're just wrong. And I watched the entire episode. And right at the end, there was just something where I was familiar, like right at the end of the episode, everything else was blank. And I was like, holy shit. I don't, I have no recollection of this last night. And so Woke up at three in the morning that morning, as per typical, someone on the BFB was said something about Bell coaching, and I contacted her the next day, and that was my last day one. So it was like this small building. Once I stopped drinking, once I started working with her, you know, of course, my first two weeks I was wanting to drink, but I'm I'm a good rule follower. And I like my straight A's. So I was like writing her every day. She would send me stuff to listen to. I would do it. Um, And I think pretty quickly, I was feeling physically better. Um, I liked the support. I liked feeling like I was building towards something. And I was proud of the days I was building up. Like I liked the idea of 100 days. And I think you can, you know, pretty soon after, maybe it was a month, you know, I said, said something to you asking, you know, are you noticing a difference? And I think you said something like, you're just much more peaceful. Our home is much more peaceful at night. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, I do. Um, And I think somewhere in there, what I remember is the first, the first times that there was like a serious conversations about how like the, our bigger life had to make some adjustments to support it. Was so, that, would that have been the first time you were really doing any of that? Tell me what you mean. Um, like I need you to not have any more alcohol in the house for a while. I think I asked you not to have any wine. So yeah, I recommend to my clients if at all possible to not have any alcohol in the house. Um, but certainly not your beverage of choice. So you drank beer. 
-hmm. There's hard alcohol around um, that I never have touched. Um, But, and I drank beer, but it wasn't my jam. It was really wine of any kind. So, I mean, I think I definitely said to you, like, I need no wine in the house. And if I ask you to buy any wine, please don't. I remember somewhere along the way, there were 30 days you said that you were trying to have nothing. Really? And I think that we did. did you that. do that? Yeah. I don't remember that, yeah. but okay. Uh, no, I remember. If I, I did, would, good for me. No, I, I remember that for sure. Cause I would, um, I'd go out with buddies, right? That would yeah. be, you know, like way to have a beer. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, after that it was, it was no wine. Yeah. Um, which was okay with me, you know, like, I mean, it was, um, you have that moment of bristle. I like, you know, right. Like, Oh, I, you know, like I have to make that change too. But then I realized that I wasn't even that big a fan of wine. Yeah. Um, so it made it a little bit easier. It'd be harder. I think if it was, yeah. um, so how did you feel about the like 30 days thing? Um, you know, I think from the, you know, all those experiences you talk about, you know, right. Of like you not being very well around it. Like I was there too, for a lot of them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was a fan of you making that change. Um, so yeah, you know, I could deal with that as long as it wasn't going to be forever. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, for me, the frame I always kind of had from the beginning of it was like, it was like you had had these health problems and you know, like gone and figured out that you were allergic to sesame or something. Right. And like, yeah, of course you're not going to, you know, you're going to have to make some adjustments yeah. um, around that. Right. Because they just aren't well if they consume that. But did you believe that? Like when I was you, so you saw it as like, she really can't drink this versus a health kick or was um, it somewhere in the between? Oh, I, th- I guess somewhere in between. Right. I think that um, it didn't matter. Right. Once you said like, Hey, here's what I want to do or not do. Like, I'm not, I'm not figuring out how I'm going to judge some parts of that. Yeah. You know? Um, he said, I need to have that be true. And so I always, I just tried to follow that as best I could, as long as I wasn't going to have to make like lifetime adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. And were you nervous about, you seemed pretty good in the first hundred days. Cause I was just like, okay, this is what I'm doing. It's a health kick. And, you know, it didn't longer term seem to you know, in that short term impact your life that much. I mean, I remember like we had a date night and you wanted to go out to this brewery and I kind of was like, Hey, I'm still on my health kick. Can we go to a coffee shop Mm -hmm. with live music or Mm -hmm. something? Mm -hmm. But once I got to a hundred days, I think I told you, okay, I'm going to six months. And that was during those six, those, you know, the intervening time we were going to Italy and Croatia and Slovenia with my family, big vacation. And then I was also going to turn 40. And I remember you being like, whoa, you're not going to drink in Italy kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah. You know, and that wasn't like me being like, oh, I thought we were going to have so much fun drinking. I was like, you, you're honestly going to go, <laughs> you're going to wander around Italy all, all day and not drink any more wine. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so that one, I'm not sure if I truly believed. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I was in favor of, it. I don't know. I've heard you talk about before about how, how you were worried or you have clients or whatever that are worried that, um, 
that their spouses, you know, will be upset that they stopped drinking because that means they're not any fun anymore, yeah. you know? And Yeah, that was definitely something I was um, worried about. You know, and I guess part of the counter to that is like, once you're at a point where your drinking is a problem, it's um, it's not always that much fun to be around. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that's part of it too, right? It's the like, hey, we're going to have some fun now because there's going to be alcohol involved. That had kind of gone away, right? Really? Um, Even on date nights and stuff? Because I, I feel like what you would prefer is if I just like only drank on date nights oh, sure. or only on Yeah, but vacation. it was as likely to end up a little less fun as not. Yeah. Right? Um, because... Um, you know, one of the things, one of the things that's hard is you're a very competent, responsible person just across the board. And some of my frustrations around your drinking were just about like when that would fall off, Mm -hmm. right. Where it would get you to the point where you just weren't self-responsible. Was I just like dead weight that you kind of had to like drag around? Sometimes dead weight, right. Sometimes, um, sometimes as simple as like can't drive right sometimes as complicated as like has to be physically like assisted someplace yes which is all fine on a couch right but especially when you're traveling when you're out in the city you know there's just risk yeah right you know like i don't know i almost feel like i'm kind of a one of the reasons i don't like drinking that much i'm a regular drinker but i don't really like tying one on right because i just don't like that kind of loss of situational awareness you know yeah. i kind of like to know where the exits are and you know what i yeah. mean have a you know look over my shoulder and like when you're when you're stuck driving and your navigator's asleep <laughs> you know it's a little frustrating yeah well and even i'm sure i got to the point where i was not walking well or tripping and falling or whatever yeah right you know and you know, not that bad, right? But enough that, like, you know, when you talk about that business trip, right? Like, that's a that's a situation with some risk, yes, in it, involved in it, right? Yeah. It just is, right? And so, I um, that piece used to worry me, yeah. yeah. So it turns out that Mike and I had a whole lot to talk about. Like I said, we've talked about. The fact that I stopped drinking, we've talked about our marriage at different times, of course, but we never actually sat down to talk about what our marriage and parenting were like, both before I stopped drinking, what he noticed, what he felt, what he observed, and what it was like from my perspective and what our life is like now. And so what I thought would be one episode has turned out to need to be two episodes. So this was part one of a conversation with my husband, what our marriage has been like, both the drinking and not drinking. And so part two is going to be sort of about what happened in our marriage once I stopped drinking, what the last five and a half years have been like, and also Mike's advice and recommendations, maybe to your spouses, if you're listening to this and trying to stop drinking, what he's learned and what he thinks would be helpful. In part two, which is going to come out next, Mike talks about how it's not as much of a sacrifice for you to stop drinking as you might think it is, because it's possible that your drinking isn't as much fun to your spouse as it used to be. He talks about how he thought it was crazy that I felt 
so secretive or nervous about telling people that I was stopping drinking because it was such a positive health change and how he didn't completely understand why I asked him if it was okay that I sort of put it out there that I was a sober coach, that I helped people stop drinking because of course it reflected on the fact that I stopped drinking and it was some kind of an issue for me. And he thinks this is a positive health choice. And by the way, you stopping drinking isn't as much of an issue maybe as like when I used to bring wine to the high school basketball games, um, which probably was not that cool. In episode two, I'm going to talk about what Mike did that was really helpful for me in helping me stop drinking both in the early days when I was in very early sobriety and even now. We talk about the need for honesty, some of the things that that I didn't say to him that he had no idea bothered me or or were hard for me when I was trying to stop drinking. And Mike shares that one of his biggest pieces of advice is to actually tell your spouse what you need and be really honest with them because sometimes we underestimate the lengths that our partners will go to to help us succeed. Mike also talks about what he's noticed in me sort of when I put down this weight of drinking and worrying about drinking that so much else was possible for me and I had more optimism and confidence and how he was a little nervous when I was making so many big changes in my life. You know, he said, God, I hope I make the cut. I hope I'm not a casualty of this. And of course he wasn't, but it was interesting to hear about him watching me getting rid of so many things that weighed me down and kind of wondering what his position was going to be in that. We talk about the early days of going on dates after I quit drinking and, and navigating that, as well as the fact that I'm not quite so wild or unpredictable as a partner maybe as I used to be when I was drinking, but at some level, once you're a parent and older, um, having a partner who's wildly unpredictable may not be that interesting anymore or the most fun thing to be around. Plus, he is a designated driver at all times, which is pretty cool. In part two, we also talk about the fact that you are allowed to make choices with what you're going to do in your life that you think are best as an individual, even if you're married, even if you have a partner, and that's okay. And one of the most interesting things we talk about in the next episode is trying to separate the morning that I think everyone has who's been together for a really long time, the morning that you don't necessarily have the relationship that you did when you first met, the morning that somehow you're not 25 anymore, you're not 27-year-old, and how sometimes that gets confusing with mourning the fact that you're giving up alcohol. You know, a lot of the sadness we have about stopping drinking may be just confused with the sadness that we have that we are an adult with a mortgage and a spouse and kids and responsibilities. And we're just not in the same relationship as we were when we first met. So how separating those two is really important. So there's a lot there in part two of this conversation with Mike. So if you're interested in that, just wait for the next episode and tune in then. Thanks so much. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.